June has been a, a busy month in our household. This weekend, Elizabeth, my wife, is away at a scripture union camp, just a, a short camp, a, a baking camp. So I'm expecting all sorts of tasting bites to arrive back home on Tuesday. And she's away at that this weekend. Last weekend, I was in the island of Skye, as you will perhaps remember, as I've told you, myself and my good friend, the Reverend John Fairfield, were conducting the communion season services on the island of Skye. They began with a prayer meeting on the Wednesday night uh, in the free church continuing. I'll come to that in a minute. And then services the Thursday, Friday, the Saturday, and then two services on the Sunday. They did decide a few years ago to stop having the Thanksgiving service on the Monday. <laughs> they thought that was, you know, it'd be long enough. And then, of course, just the, the week or so, 10 days before that, um, we were, Elizabeth and I were in Italy, and we were in Verona on the Lord's Day on the Sunday, worshipping with a, a gathering of Christians there, where our missionary partners, Faber and Elaine, and the family are associated with. And so June's been a busy month, and I've already given you forewarning, I'm also going to be away to Madeira in August, and I'll be visiting the church there, the church that there's association with, partly through connections with Ron and Moya, and indeed with myself last year. And, and in all these different places, let's, first of all, it was a bit different. Sky was a bit different. Some of you obviously have been in holiday to Sky, but the church scene in Sky is quite different. Um, the Presbyterian churches, and there are a number of them, there's the Church of Scotland, there's the Free Church, there's the Free Church continuing, and the Free Presbyterians, um, and no doubt maybe somewhere else, I don't know, maybe some other group, but nonetheless, in all those traditions, they are, let's just say, slightly more Free Kirkish in the way they do things, in that, for instance, in the church we were preaching, there was no musical accompaniment, there was a presenter who stood at the presenter's desk, and that's actually what that table would have been originally, the presenter's desk, and he led the singing and you then follow on and in, in, in where we were in the Church of Scotland we followed on right away and it was sung you know in, in, in conformity and in unity I have to say that on the Wednesday night at the prayer meeting the feature continued it was far more like the kind of Highland way where they sing a line and then you follow on we got into the car and John particularly from his Salvation Army background said what do you think of that? Let's just say the sound of it reminded you of the wind and the waves and the gales coming off the Atlantic Ocean, the kind of style of the singing. Some of you will have heard that. And then, of course, when we were in Italy, um, I, as I've said often enough, have enough trouble speaking the King's English or the Queen's English. Um, Elizabeth's really quite fluent in Italian now, so she could sit there quite the thing and listen to the whole service and understand what the preacher was saying. I just sat there with a smile on my face. And every now and then nodded my head to the preacher so that he would think that at least I was, I was listening and at least I was understanding where he was doing. Very diverse. One was the one in Verona, really a, a, a Christian brethren type church that some of us have come from, that type of tradition, right through, as I say, to a Presbyterian tradition, which is very different from our own. Although 160 years ago, if people had come here, there would have been similarities to that. In some ways, you might think, well, is it stuck in a time capsule, stuck in days past? No doubt there's a debate about that, but certainly very true to the church tradition in Skye. And yet, although I didn't understand the Gaelic, or the Gaelic, depending how you pronounce it, 
And I certainly didn't even understand the friend that we were visiting when on the Sunday night at the end of the service he got up and gave a word of thanks and then pronounced the blessing in the Gaelic. And I've, I think, what's happened? Has there been an outbreak of speaking in tongues or something like this, you know? While I didn't understand that, and while I certainly didn't understand the Italian in the fellowship in Verona, there was a very real sense of being bound together and connected together in the Spirit with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And a number of us, perhaps, we've been on holiday, even within our own country, and certainly if we've gone abroad, and we've visited a congregation. And I would encourage you, if you go abroad and there is a Christian fellowship in the area where you are, to make an effort to go. Even if, like me, you don't understand the language, your visit, in a sense, is an encouragement to them. And a reminder that there is only one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There is only one church of Jesus Christ. Different traditions, different ways of expressing the faith, but bound together in that partnership of the gospel. And as I've said to folks this week, I've been using the, the, my experiences at Sky just to share at the devotionals and on Thursday afternoon at the Ladies' Association. It ended, the little time we spent there, ended with a great encouragement on the Sunday evening when in response to God's word, three of them, I mean, there, there was a, a revival broke out. There was 28 folk there. Um, that was a big turnout, um, a, a very big turnout for them, but three men in their 40s. And in their tradition, it's the men who really lead the church and would be the ones that people would look to to be, to be the elders and whatever else, these three men in their 40s were leaning forward in their seats and thank God that he was speaking to them and stirring their hearts and they were literally physically leaning forward. So if you're not leaning forward by the end of this sermon, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> Don't fall out of your seats in the process. But a sign of God's spirit at work, stirring and warming hearts. I thought this morning, and particularly in the context of all that we've been sharing in early, we might spend today, and indeed next Sunday, we'll look at the, the second part of the letter, at this little letter, Paul's letter to Philemon. And if you have your Bibles or access to a Bible, I would encourage you to open up God's Word. And this is an unusual letter in the New Testament. It's a personal letter. No doubt if there had been emails in the first century, it would have been more of an email that Paul had sent to his friend and indeed to his fellow worker. He addresses the letter to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. He addresses it also to Aphir, or Aphir, her sister, probably his wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably the elder who along with Philemon led the church. The church that met were told in their home, a house church. There wasn't a building. Of course, we understand that in the first century. Of course, there weren't buildings. People gathered together in the homes, usually of those who were slightly wealthier, and we've maybe visited places. We've seen Roman villas and whatever else, and the courtyards and everything else. Well, they would meet in one of these villas, and Philemon, therefore, probably was a relatively wealthy person, perhaps probably a leading person in his community, but obviously was now a believer. We notice, and we'll say, we'll say more about that next Sunday, but we notice Paul had a particular connection. The letter is to do with the, a slave who's become a Christian, being sent back, as I say, we'll spend more time next Sunday talking about that. But you'll notice in verse 19, Paul says, I, I Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. That is anything that the runaway slave Onesimus has taken. Not to mention, he says at the end of verse 19, that you owe me your very self. 
And in the context of Philemon having a house and probably a business and whatever else, Paul's obviously not talking here about financially, you know, Paul somehow has bailed him out or, or provided the money for a business. What he's talking about here in the context of the letter is the spiritual life that Philemon has come to know and indeed that his family and household have come to know. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, writing under house arrest from Rome, along with his colleague Timothy, is writing to someone who is the fruit of Paul's ministry, probably in Macedonia, in Greece. And he's writing to someone who has come to faith. And before we go any further and looking just at these few verses, it's good to remind ourselves, as we did when we looked at Thessalonians, that at the end of the day, what is the business of the church? The business of a church is not to have a building. It's not necessarily to have it all furnished. These furnishings are lovely, but it's not primarily to do with the furnishings. It's not even necessarily to do with the traditions or the rituals of the church, whether it's Highland Gaelic unaccompanied psalm singing or whether it's a, a very different type of fellowship in Verona. These things are at best secondary and perhaps sometimes even a hindrance to what the real matter of the church is. The real matter of the church is to make known the grace and peace that comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To proclaim Jesus, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The one who said, I am the good shepherd and I gave my, give my life for my sheep. The one who said, I am the door and no one can enter into the reality of God apart from through me. The Jesus, the old, old story of Jesus and his love, his birth, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his journey to Jerusalem, the events of Holy Week, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the promise of his coming again. The, church of the, the job of the church is to make that known, to live out that faith so that others who are outside of the church, who are outside of the faith, might come to know Jesus. And that obviously is what happened here. And Philemon, this dear friend and fellow worker that Paul talks about, is someone who had come to a faith and then as a response to that faith, opened up his home. And you can imagine, folk will be talking, where are all these folk going to his house on a Sunday? What's going on up there? You know, and especially if the folks that were going were not just like the, the kind of well-to-do business colleagues that perhaps Philemon would have through his social life. It would be the poor. And perhaps the notable, there to come as sinner. And the women. And other, and the children. And folk, I can imagine, folk would start saying, what's going on there? And then Philemon in his business life, and his working life. And when the aroma and flavor of Jesus perhaps began to impact on how he treated his slaves. And as I say, next Sunday we'll think about that. How he treated his workers. How he treated his household. How he dealt with his children. How he saw the community in which he lived and conducted the affairs of which he was a part. When all of that began to spread out, not confined to a building, but lived out within the body of Jesus, the life of his people, that is what made a difference. 
And we can see that that obviously was known by Paul, though he was in Rome. Look what he says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Achippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul might be in Rome and in chains. Philemon might be miles away. And remember, there wasn't the roads or the planes or the means of transport or the means of communication that there is nowadays. And yet Paul speaks warmly, enthusiastically, passionately about the partnership in the faith which they share. What is the basis for that partnership? as I've said already. That basis for that partnership is in the grace and peace that comes from God. We touched upon this when we're looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, what grace might mean. The two, son, the two evenings that John Fairfield spoke at, um, up in, in the parish of Snyzer, up in Skye, he spoke about the very grace of God. He's preached in a passage he'd preached on from here when he came at Christmas time to help out when I wasn't well. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Corinthians that though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that through his poverty you and I might become rich. Here is the grace of God, the creator God, the one who dwells in majesty and might, the one who is worthy of praise because he is the only true God, the God who has established all that is, and yet that God has entered in and come down and taken frail flesh, who lived and loved and died. This is our God, the servant king, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony. The man who is God. And it's that grace of God that we all need. Scott very kindly testified to that, and particularly over these last two years. But that grace of God was known. I've touched upon this in the past because it's probably one of the most moving experiences, although one of the saddest experiences I've ever had as a minister. And I'm doing this job now quite a long time. Sitting with Scott and with Irene's brother in the hospital, and Irene in great pain and discomfort and aware of all that was going to happen, and yet taking my hand and firm in faith and in confidence spoke of the assurance that she had that in God's grace and in God's mercy, nothing, not even death, would separate her from the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, Christianity isn't a theory for the philosophical to debate. Christianity is a reality for ordinary people to live. 
and in our experience, and some have known that even more perhaps than others, through difficult times and challenging times, through times of ill health, through times of worry about jobs and a whole host of other things, through times of real frailty and times when we become aware just of the fragility of all that is. And if COVID-19 didn't do anything, surely remind us just how fragile and frail so many ways our society and our world really is. It's that grace, that knowing that not because we deserve it or own it or bought it or are in any way kind of earned it or merited, but because of God's mercy and love, he reaches out and meets with us at a hospital bed, in the darkest night, in the deepest pit, in the most challenging of circumstances. And as we look up and open our lives to that, he lifts us up puts a new song in our hearts, a song of praise to our God, even in the midst of those sometimes terrible circumstances. And he brings us into that place of peace. We noticed that when we were in Sky and we were out and it was the weather wasn't very great. Um, I'd taken shorts, I put them on once, just really more to shame my two friends and to show off my varicose veins. And, and, but really, it was blowy and windy as we went round. But the bay, which actually is just across from the manses and Kensalaya, it's a very much an inshot. It's, it's not as big as the sea lochs in Norway, but as you know, up the west coast, there are these very deep inlets that are locks, but actually sea lochs. And there we saw the wind and the waves at the top of the loch buffeting a fishing boat or some kind of boat, but actually just down as I did walk down one afternoon when it was nice but windy and sat down for a wee while on the beach, which was rocky, but nonetheless, you know, you could sit on it. And there was a stillness and the quietness because you were surrounded by the hills, the mountains. You were in the ravine, the valley. Although the wind and the waves were blowing out there, in this place, there was a place of peace, the peace of God, which passes all human understanding and keeps our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of Him, safe. Just speaking to a friend this morning who's in New Zealand who's dying of cancer, and it's a long journey, and the tumor now is actually protruding through his lungs. He's a man of faith. He's been praying, oh God, just take me. And yet testifying in the midst of that, that in that awful place, there is that peace. Because it's not the absence of trouble. It's the awareness of God that stills the soul and brings comfort to the troubled spirit and assures us of life not just here, but hereafter. That's the kind of life that Paul means when he said to Philemon, you owe me your very self. And that's the basis for partnership. The day was in the past where people came to the church because it was the things to do. 
It was the respectable thing to do because your family went, your parents, your grandparents went. It was like being part of a good club, like the bowling green or the cricket club or, some, or the rotary or some other organization. It was, it was just part of life. Those days have long gone, including in the island of Skye, I have to tell you. Where, but what it does remind us is that the real basis for being part of the church, it's not tradition or heritage, however vital that may be to us, but comes from faith, Paul tells us, faith in the Lord Jesus. I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the basis for our partnership. And then Paul goes on to explain how that basis of faith, faith in the Lord Jesus and the experience of the grace and peace that comes to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, how that is manifested. He says, I hear about your love, verse 5, for all his holy people. And he talks about verse 7, your love has been a great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. On the Saturday evening after the service in, in, in Uig, where, where the services were being held in Skye, uh, at the, where the, the, the port is, where the, the boats sailed to, to Lewis and Harris, um, I, had been, I had visited um, Alistair once before, Alistair McLeod, Mayor, the minister there, and so I knew the area. So we decided to go for a wee run, or I, I took them for a, I was driving the car, so they didn't have much choice. Once they got in the car, I was in charge. And we went for a run right over, and I don't ask me all the roads, right over the top part and down the other side to Staffin. Some of you may know the island better than me. Beautiful, beautiful evening. It's also in the case, isn't it? I'm sure there's a metaphor there. It's often the evening of life as well as the evening of the day that we see the sun, the sun of righteousness more. And I was looking over, and you saw Harris, and then Lewis further over, and, and Alistair was explaining everything else. And we arrived at Staffin and to a crossroads in, 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 in the little village, a scattered community. And we noticed, not the number of pubs, you would notice that in Uddingston, how many pubs there are, we noticed the number of churches. Because here at this crossroads, as I was shared to folk, where was the Church of Scotland? Across the road was the Free Church. And then they, back in the 19, late 1990s, early 2000s, had a major fallout, and there was the Free Church continuing. And then across from them, in the kind of quadrangle, was the Free Presbyterians who had fallen out with the Free Church in the 1890s. And they're very strict, very strict. And here's within the scattering of community, within, within a relatively small population, but here are four churches, all Presbyterian as well, all claiming to be reformed in their doctrine, and yet, when I say it's spitting distance, perhaps that's not just a, a metaphor. But in the past, certainly, quite strong differences and divisions. And while we were there every night, um, Alistair had hospitality, and people came to have dinner with us at the manse. He's a very hospitable fellow. His culinary abilities are, 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 are amazing. Uh, and there were different visitors. And as I asked some of the people who visited um, each night, I, I, I tried to subtly ask them about their families and about their spiritual state, about where their family's still in the life of the church. And the sad thing is, as many of us know here, that was not the case for many of them. Not all of them, but for many of them. And interestingly, one of the ladies who um, was there one night, her treasurer of the congregation, spoke about her husband and said about how her husband had stopped going to the church. And I said, well, why was that? And she said, well, he's just fed up with the church. 
he said, they, 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 they fall out over silly things, and then they agree to things which are wrong. And he was particularly thinking of the Church of Scotland and its particular views on same-sex marriage. The sad reality is that the church, the institution of the church, of all its different kinds and color, have a lot to have to bear a lot of the responsibility for people being put off. It has unfortunately been a place where there is dissension, dispute over things that don't really matter as to whether you put your washing out on a Sunday or whether you don't. And sometimes, unfortunately this is the case at present, it also has embraced things which are clearly not right and are not true to Scripture, to what God's Word says. Little wonder that people can get wearied. We actually have a minister friend and his wife at the present time who faithfully have served in the church, and although they've retired, although they are going to church, they were open and honest enough, I'm going to see who they are, but as they sat in our home said, you know, if they never saw church again, well, perhaps it wouldn't be. Because they were scunnered to use a good Scottish word. How sad and how easy that can happen. And why does it happen? How does it happen? Well, it happens when the very thing that Paul commends here is not known or experienced or shared. Notice why Paul thanks Philemon. He thanks God for them. Why? Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Here's a picture as to how church should be. A warmth and a care and a reaching out and a drawing in and a bearing with one another when we have our differences, because there always are going to be differences. A discernment, yes, as to those matters that are right and true, but also a wisdom to know those matters that really, at the end of the day, don't actually matter. It was warming and encouraging, wasn't it, for Scott to speak about his long association and his family with his congregation, and to speak about this church as being a family, or a place of welcome, a place of embrace, and to speak of the care that he received from all of us, many of us, over these last two years, practical, tangible ways in which we've shown the love that we have for all of God's holy people. Fabri and Elaine in Verona spoke warmly of that as we took them out for a meal after the service. Not just our own Christian care and support, but the care and support of many of you here in your prayers and in your gifts. Indeed, he spoke to me just the other day, and I've not gone into all of that, of encouragement, doors of opportunity opening up. And he phoned me, not because we are actually, actually ultimately responsible for him, he's responsible to another church in Clarkston, Cartsbridge Evangelical Church, but because, as he said, you, me speaking personally, but also to us, we've been like spiritual parents to him. That's how the church should be. Our love for each other, a sign of God's love for us, should bring great joy and encouragement, even when the going is hard. Our prayers for all of God's holy people, not just those we know here, but for the wider church, that global perspective, should be a hallmark of the people of God. There is a song, I didn't choose it because I know you don't like it, Bind Us Together, Bind Us Together. I know musical is a bit twee. Uh, but there is that song, bind us together, bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. It's a wee bit twee, but it's also very true. A 
and how we thank God for that experience of that here, down through the ages. It's not always been the case. I'm sure we can all think back over a lifetime when there's been differences. But when it really matters, and when God's people are bound in the basis of the gospel partnership, then it's that love that binds us together. And as we close, what is the fruit of the, that type of fellowship on that basis? Well, he says that, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I still remember the bonds of fellowship we had with the good folks at Whifflet. And it's lovely to have Irene and Steve and Isabel with us. But I remember a dear lady whose name didn't come to mind. I'm not very good with names. And I'll still remember the night. We did an alpha course and we did some follow-up to that. And then she came, bless her, and she had her Bible. And it was a BB, her son's BB Bible. And there was references in the video we were watching to the Old Testament. Do you remember her name? Agnes. Agnes, bless you. Ian. See, he's better. He should be the minister, not me. He remembers names better. And Agnes. And she had her Bible, and she kind of looked at it. She, she says, oh, I think you've got bits in your Bible I don't have. And what she meant, really, was the whole Old Testament, didn't she? It was a mystery to her. And, 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 and it was a discovery that there was this actual bit in the Bible, the Old Testament, that really, bless her, she had not had the opportunity to get into and think about and reflect upon and see how, of course, it bore on the New Testament. The sad reality is that's so true of past days in the life of church, especially traditions like ours. You good folks faithfully sat there, the minister was paid to do this and visit people, whatever else, and really that was that. And the idea of getting into God's word, reading it for ourselves, discovering the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation and seeing the story of God's purpose as well, well, you know, that was maybe for the really keen folk and for maybe a few kind of special folks, but for ordinary punters like us, well, well, you did your bit and that was it. Thank God those days are past and long past. And Agnes, bless her, discovered not just the Old Testament, but discovered in a new and real way, Jesus. And I still remember visiting her when she was in Monklands and ill and dying. And again you, the promise that as Christ had made himself known to her in her life, as God's word had been opened up to her, so he would not leave her nor forsake her as she journeyed through the valley of the shadow. That's what the church is about. People, ordinary folks like us, becoming deeper in our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. In a sense, that's why this Bible has been gifted. Yes, there, there are good gifts that can be given, but at the end of the day, you can only have so many vases. We've got a piano, we've got enough church furnishings, and, well, tablecloths and cutlery are all very nice. But And so in one sense, that's why it's especially good that this Bible has been gifted to the church. A number of people remarked, over, the, over these last few years as they've come in at different occasions and they've stood and looked. In fact, Elizabeth, in fact, it was yourself. You had an SU meeting um, not that long ago and some people came in and, and they stood and looked and what they actually liked to see was actually, although there wasn't a service on, the Bible was in the pulpit and it was open. 
a reminder to us that whenever we come through that door, whoever comes through that door, and whatever the occasion may be, I may not be in this pulpit, may not be preaching in this kind of way, but God's Word is central to our life together as the people of God. And it's as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and draws us into a deeper relationship with the personhood of God that we become deeper in our understanding of the good things that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Churches, buildings come and go. We live in a day when many more buildings are going to be closing, including, sadly, some of the churches up in Skye that we visited. But wherever God's Word is open. And wherever God's Word is shared, not just in preaching a sermon, but in Bible study and other forms of reflection, whether it's through with a way that's relevant for the young folk in the hall or a way which is more relevant for us here in the main sanctuary, it doesn't matter. Wherever God's Word is open in a spirit of love and of faith, so we can all deepen our understanding of the good things we share for the sake of Christ. And as I close, that is the acid test of what marks a church. It's not the traditions. It's not the fabric. It's not who the minister is. We come and go. It's not all of that. It's whether God's word and the good use of Jesus is central. And that is seen when you see someone like Irene, whose faith was deepened and was quickened and grew through times of trial, we all remember when she wasn't well back in the 20, 2006, 7, that period. And in a new and fresh way, Jesus became real to her. And then she delighted in sharing that by a word of kindness and love through the coffee service. And actually, I thought you were a wee bit harsh when you said Irene in the kitchen. She actually wasn't as bad as some of the other ladies who used to be in the kitchen. <laughs> there was a certain other lady who was your relative that... <laughs> Warn people not to come in. Sandra, yes, bless her. She was faithful as well. But Irene wasn't like that. She wasn't like that. She wasn't. She revealed God's love in that ministry of hospitality. I still remember my son's wedding here. Perhaps one of the big events that we'll never not see again for a whole host of reasons. And that was a tangible sign of a living faith revealed in a love for God's people as she grew in a deepening understanding of all that God has for us. She has arrived in that place along with all of God's saints where no longer do we see as through a veil dark, glass darkly, but we see face to face and see fully what now is only partially known. She has arrived, the saints in glory, but on our own earthly pilgrimage in the here and now, we say, speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on you and hush our hearts to listen like those men last Sunday night in expectancy. That is what the church is all about.